Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, when you can't talk to your toaster, you toast in parallel. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. We've talked about co-parenting on this show, but what happens when parenting your kids together is simply too hard? When conflict is high and communication is impossible, we turn to Parallel Parenting, a co-parenting arrangement where separate and divorced parents work together while staying apart. Pete, if you think about a toaster, you really are always doing parallel. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. Yep. Who would who would toast perpendicular, man? That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I guess they have those like toaster ovens. That's you know yes, you could you could stack your toast. Look, I this this whole concept you brought this. I actually I don't even remember how how we got into talking about parallel parenting, but it it, it we are doing a whole conversation on it today because it breaks my brain. Uh, I, I'm going to need you to explain what parallel parenting is and how it could possibly be uh, a a good strategy for separating parents with kids. Think of parallel parenting simply the way I always like to tell clients when you think about this, the rules at mom's house are the rules at mom's house. The rules at dad's house are the rules at dad's house. What dad does, dad does. What mom does, mom does. And there's very little interaction, communication, co-parenting, trying to work things out for what's best for your kid. Take all that stuff and just put it to the side. It sounds horrible because it you're thinking, horrible. how do you do that, right? Yeah. Well, and what gets you there? Like, what are the constituent sort of elements that get you to the point where I'm just not going to talk to my co-parent anymore? We're going to have a set of rules that we uh, abide by and we're not going to we're not going to be able to to work together as parents. A lot of it is one parent has mental illness, addiction. Those are big ones. Okay. If you are truly dealing with someone who's a narcissist and can never see the other side, it's always a fight. You, you know, they'll, they'll hold you to the letter of the agreement. And look, I write parenting plans every day, review them every day, study how they're written. I cannot write a parenting plan and no lawyer can write a parenting plan that will solve every single potential thing that comes up in a child's life from age two to 18. It just doesn't happen. So when you try to just look at the agreement and then there could be ambiguity, there could be vagueness, there's a lot of things that we work hard to eliminate from the contract. But when you start playing lawyer and you're reading the contract and the parenting plan and you're trying to say, well, you did this and didn't do this. Well, first off, let's assume you violated it. Okay. We've talked about, okay, you go to court, file a motion for contempt and enforcement, and there's just all this stuff that just ramps things up. And people just throw it at each other's face. And when it gets to that point, you guys just need to stop worrying about this stuff. And just when you have your kid do your thing, when she has the kid, let her do her thing. And that's parallel parenting. And it can go to an extreme. How so? When's the last time that you or your wife went to a doctor's appointment for your child and didn't update the other parent? Okay. That seems like it would be a strange thing. Yeah. Given you only have the one child. Right. So parallel parenting, you think the child is sick on your time, you take that child to the doctor. And the only thing you're required to do is tell the other parent that you went. And then that parent 
can get the medical records directly from the doctor. That's an extreme example. And that's what I hear when you say extreme, like it could go to the point where well, a parent it takes the child to the doctor and then there's a parental handoff and the other parent also takes the child to the doctor. That's right. That seems crazy to me. How is that useful for the kid? Believe this or not, the best thing for children is to not be placed in conflict. So when you have two parents that go to the doctor together and argue for the sake of argument in front of the child and in front of the doctor, it's better for that child for one parent not to be there so there's no argument. Divorce is not inherently bad for children. Conflict is. Okay. So even post-divorce, what we're talking about is, and and all of my questions, I I realize as you were talking, that my questions assume that the child is an automaton, like is a non-participant. And of course, like a child of, of any reasonable age, right, once they can speak, would be able to answer the question, were you just at the doctor? And probably get a, a good answer. So the child is a participant in communication, right? The child shouldn't be, but the child's going to come home and either have medication with them or be sick, and you're going to see that. Yeah. Or the child's not going to go to school, and you're going to get a notification from the school. So. Most of the communication, if not all of it, and it's usually written as except in case of an emergency, and then I define what an emergency is, is through like Our Family Wizard. We've talked about these parenting apps. Yes, let's talk about it. Do you use Our Family Wizard in all of its form and function, including receipts, including the calendar, and you, you get a notification, child's not at school through Our Family Wizard? Hey, I got a notification. Is everything okay? Could be an emergency. So maybe it's written that if you get a notification from school, you're allowed to text the person. Hey, texting. Got a notification. Child's not at school. What's going on? Okay. Now with these parents, I work hard to teach them how to properly draft an email or a text. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. That's it. But the response then should be sick. Taking to the doctor will update our family wizard or call the doctor after three and get the report. Okay. I'm showing you the extreme examples. But it feels like it's going to be extreme if you're going down the road of parent- parallel parenting in the first place. Like by default, parallel parenting seems extreme to me. It is. That's a very good point. So, Pete, what did you like to do growing up, extracurricular wise? I played soccer. Believe You won't, probably won't believe that, but I was. I played soccer. I believe it. I was I was exceptionally bad at it. <laughs> I was goalie on a very good team, so I never played. There you go. <laughs> so you got clean sheets, but not because of yeah. what you did. Exactly. Perfect. I, yeah. Like scoreboard Perfect. looks good. Um, yeah, scoreboard was great. So here's the deal. People that have conflict like this cannot agree on extracurriculars. So your parents, let's assume, are divorced. Your mom wants to sign you up for soccer. Dad doesn't. Here's the rule. Either parent can sign up the child for anything they want to sign them up for, but they're only required to take them for things that either they agreed to or that they signed them up for. Okay, so mom signs the kid up for soccer. Mom sends our family wizard, hey, Pete wants to do soccer again this year, thinking about signing him up. Do you agree? No, is the answer. 
Okay. So mom does it anyway. She's allowed to. Because parallel parenting. Yep. Okay. And then Pete goes over to dad's for a week, right? And now, but what about soccer practice? Does that dad have any responsibility to get Pete to soccer practice? Nope. What if Pete says, but daddy, daddy, I love soccer and I want to play soccer. That's between Pete and his dad. It has nothing to do with the co-parenting. Wow. Okay. Seth, according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. That's got to that's gotta make your skin crawl. It certainly does, and it's something that comes up a lot in custody cases. But we've got good news about that. Whether you're the one who is absolutely positively sure that your spouse suffers from alcoholism, or you're the spouse that you say, I am not an alcoholic, I can be sober anytime I want. We can stop that he said, she said scenario by using Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic and a great partner to us on this show. It is Soberlink, the device itself, is real-time alcohol monitoring. It's a device that has a facial recognition camera on it, and you blow into it, and it sends real-time data about your use of alcohol uh, to the people who need to know, your legal support, your spouse, to know that when it's time for carpools, when it's time for handoffs, anytime you're going to get behind the wheel with your child, that you are safe to drive. And Seth, I actually have a story. This is a new story for you because we always talk about the the people, the spouse who's accused of having an alcohol abuse disorder or somebody who is accusing an an alcohol abuse abuse disorder. I actually, uh, just last week, I have a dear friend who is recovering and said that they used a tool just like this. Unfortunately, not brand soberly, but a, a tool just like this that helped them get clean right? It helped them remember whenever they had to blow in that device that they were doing it for their kids. And I think that's yet another reason to to really take this stuff to heart. You're doing it for the kids. Absolutely. We talk about Soberlink as being an independent third-party verification in real time that courts love. That's just because we're talking about the divorce world here. Soberlink is certainly used to help people maintain their sobriety. So if you have an issue, get to Soberlink. Do the hard work. It's hard work every day for the rest of your life. Spend quality time with yourself and with your kids. Soberlink, we really appreciate you sponsoring this show. Sign up and receive $50 off your device just by going to Soberlink.com slash toaster. I need you to I need you to talk to me a little bit about how these co-parenting agreements are set up. Like, what is the role of attorney, attorney? How do you work with attorneys? What gets you to the point of saying, look, I think we need to put together a parallel parenting agreement because this is ridiculous and we're not going to get anywhere with these people. Or does the court play any role in it? Can the judge just say, look, it feels like you guys aren't ever going to be able to talk. Uh, So let's go ahead and go down the road of parallel parenting. How does that work? That's exactly how it works is. Oh. When it gets like you kind of answered your question by the question, like how bad does it get? We've talked about it on this show. When someone says it's Tuesday, the other says it's Wednesday. When anybody says, I want to do soccer. No, I want to do X. No, I don't. This is a lot. I don't want to take the child on my time. It's not your time. It's the child's time with you. And part of being a parent is taking your kid to soccer practice into the soccer games, into the extracurriculars. And then parents will say, Seth is only 
wanting his son to sign up for soccer, like if my former spouse is talking, because Seth played college soccer. He's all about soccer. He's living vicariously, reliving the dream on and on and on and on. And my kid is doing cartwheels at soccer practice. And obviously screaming to me, though I missed the signal, and this is a true story, when he was like five years old when I was coaching his soccer, he's screaming out, put me in gymnastics. All I keep saying is stop doing cartwheels at <laughs> soccer practice. <laughs> My fiance pointed that out to he's me. He's over Don't there you? with a yakisoba table saying, hey, all I want to do is cook this shrimp. <laughs> Why won't you put me in cooking school and keep me on the soccer field? Put the shrimp away during halftime. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Can not, I just tell you a quick story? It's not kosher. I, was, <laughs> I took my son's not kosher. I had my son. I knew that soccer wasn't the right thing for my son because he was very young. I don't know. He was like six. When did you start doing youth sock, soccer, right? And we're standing on the, I was standing on the sidelines and I watched my son walk off the field, pick up a piece of trash Capri Sun, like a juice juice box, box yeah. and start drinking it on the field <laughs> while he's playing. And I was like, right then, soccer's not your game, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do something else. So I feel like those are the signs. All right. So parent sees those signs and you start approaching the idea of we need to put a parallel parenting plan in place. That's right. And a lot of it really sounds foreign to everything we've talked about on the show on how to better co-parent. Yeah. And it's actually simple because literally what happens at dad's house happens at dad's house. What happens at mom's house happens at mom's house. And the least amount of interaction, the better. So we've talked about right of first refusal, common in a lot of parenting plans. That is, I have my child. It is a Saturday of the weekend that I have them all weekend but I've got a big trial on Monday. So I'm in the office prepping and I'm going to be in the office for more than four hours or eight hours or 10 hours, whatever the case may be, but I'm unavailable to care for my child. I'm required to say to the other parent, hey, I'm unavailable. Do you want to have time? And they usually say, yes. They say, yes. I drop them off. I pick them up, whatever the case may be. And they go spend time with mom because I'm working. And the concept is, Look, you already have your kid at best half the time, let's say. And if you're unavailable, then why should the other parent not have time with the child? Totally makes sense to me. Right? Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But in a parallel parenting, you just eliminate the right of first refusal. Wow. So you suddenly, I, I just go for childcare. I don't even need to ask. Correct. We just eliminate it fascinating. We just eliminate it. Now, that leads to other problems. What happens if every weekend I have my child, I'm just pawning them off to friend sleepovers, and I say, oh, he's allowed to have sleepovers, but it's every weekend. What happens if I'm just giving him to, my grand, to the grandparents to take care of, or an aunt and uncle to stay at all the time, and I'm not really doing any parenting, but I'm not interested in parenting, but I just don't want you to have them. So suddenly the child becomes a tool for vindication somehow. Which is a lot of the, the, the nexus of um, the problems with parallel parenting of when you say, how does these things stem, right? Yeah. It has nothing to do with the child. It's like you're using that child as a pawn in your chess game, which both of you are playing pretty well because we know the pawns just get wiped off the board. Well, that leads to uh, like how some of these tools are used. And in, in my very cursory 
research trying to figure out how to make sense of, of parallel parenting, I came up with this phrase that I feel like is something you're going to be able to talk about. Parental alienation. Yeah. So parental alienation is when one parent attempts or succeeds in alienating the child from the other parent. It's actually a psychological term. Can a parent just keep poisoning that well with that child and create such a mess that the child doesn't want to go over to the other parent? Worst case of parent alienation attempt that I ever dealt with is when the parent was telling the child that the other parent had sexually assaulted that child, but it never happened. Oh my goodness. And children at a very young age, as we all know, cannot distinguish between reality and fantasy. That's why when you see the father that dresses up in the bunny suit for Easter with a three-year-old or a two-year-old and then takes the head off and it's dad, the kid starts crying. Yeah. Because that reality is different. Right, right. They don't understand. So what happens in cases like that is you then need to prove not, this can be a double, double negative, not that the violence did not occur, right? But you have to show that it, which is hard to prove a negative. Yeah, right. You have to show that the other parent planted this seed in this little child's head, and this little child might believe that they were sexually assaulted. Wow. That's like actual malice. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about detriment to a child. Yeah, right. Worse is being sexually assaulted. The second worst thing is having a parent put in your mind that you were, and you believe it to be true. It's the same trauma. Exactly. When you're at a certain age, right? It's a, yeah. So how do you, this gets to like how you manage through the the big challenges of parenting that come with raising any child, let alone using the child as a tool for vindication. What do you do with things like that, that happened, like growing up, dealing with, uh, you know, drugs and porn and sex and all of the things that kids have to learn about the, the, big kid world before they're 18 and don't have to talk about that stuff anymore with their parents. So I think your question is, well, Seth, when you have to have a serious conversation about growing up, how do you have that conversation with your child when the co-parent might not be saying the same thing? Yes, that's my question. Good job. You have that conversation despite the fact that your co-parent might not be saying the same thing because you don't really have a co-parent. You have a parallel parent and you're going to deal with whatever that issue is in your house, in the way that you deem appropriate. When you want to get him a cell phone, you get him a cell phone. If the other parent doesn't want him to have a cell phone, cell phone doesn't come in the house. That's right. That's right. It just stays at, when you go to the transition, tell your friends you're at dad's this week, you don't have your cell phone. Wow. Right? When you have the conversation, I'm getting you a cell phone, which means you have porn available in your pocket other parents not involved. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It goes against everything we've talked about. 
everything. It feels to me like it's hard to even justify this conversation under the moniker, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships, because I hear you. I absolutely hear you that this is about removing the child from conflict. But everything we're saying appears to introduce more internal conflict to the child having to dance between this two set of potentially very different rule sets in order just to get through youth and teenage years. That seems just naturally damaging. It is not great for kids, but in my experience, it's less damaging than two parents that are constantly in conflict. What is the trigger? How often out of your sort of book of clients do you find you turn to a parallel parenting arrangement? So if I'm listening to this and I know I have conflict in my divorce, like, should I expect my attorney to turn to parallel pa- parenting pretty easily? Or is it something that's that's kind of rare? No, and I'm, I'm going to expand it beyond our client base. Just all the cases I've been dealt with over the last geez, 15 years of doing nothing but divorce work. My guess is there's about 10 to 20 percent that are like this. Now, I actually think that as children get older, naturally, parallel parenting happens, but not for a negative reason. There's less communication needed when you have a 16 or 17-year-old than when you have a 6 or 7-year-old. A 6 or 7-year-old, you got to figure out all the extracurriculars. They don't really have a voice that, you know, you can distract them with an ice cream cone. You got to make sure that everything's packed in their bag. When you got a kid that's 16 and driving, dude, you want to get to soccer? Get to soccer. Yeah, right. You want to come home? Like, so on that, maybe the curfew at mom's is 11 o'clock and maybe at dad's it's 1 Mm a.m. So, okay, we're not going to go to court and fight over two hours. Right. So I think naturally, I think some conversations when the kids are older are more important to make sure you're on the same page. But they just don't occur as often, just even in a healthy co-parent relationship. I mean, I don't talk to my former spouse as much now as I did from when he was little because there was just more moving parts in a little kid, right? Right. 16-year-olds, hopefully 17, they're kind of on cruise control doing their thing and you're just trying to frick, get them through high school. Yeah, borrowed time to 18 anyway. Yeah, right? exactly. What do you do when one parent, I mean, I feel like I know the answer to this already, but I got to ask, you're you're in a relationship that's high conflict because one parent doesn't want to communicate. The other parent says, I think we can work this out. But it, it feels like you're on the road to parallel parenting anyway. Takes two. Mm-hmm. Takes two. And what happens is there'll be portions of even co-parenting where parallel parenting will exist. Because there'll be something that happens at your house that maybe you didn't talk about with your former spouse that maybe you should have, but kind of my rules, whatever. Okay. So this just popped in my head. Here's an example. I think my son was 15. Ever since he was little, we would go out to nice restaurants because it would just be me and him and we would share a meal. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat Chick-fil-A all the time, even though I love it. Just because I have a little kid, let's go out to a nice restaurant. We can split a meal. It didn't actually cost me that much because we were splitting it, right? And I would get a glass of wine and I would let him smell it. Mm -hmm. So then we were at at the house one day and I opened a bottle of wine and he goes to smell it and he goes, can I have a glass? And I'm like, 
Mm. Man, I really feel like I want to say yes to that question, but I really need to talk to mom about it first. I just, I just can't, but I, I think she'll say, and he looks at me, and goes, mom, let's me have a glass of wine. And I was like, what? Oh, here you go. You know? Okay. So yeah. maybe I so would you have. Get to, you, you certainly get to know what's important to the other parents yeah, by so, way of the kid. Right. You know? And so maybe that would have been a co-parenting like, hey, he's 15. Maybe I should have. She, if I would have mentioned it to her, which I never did, I, I did it joking. I think, like, I thought it was funny, but and maybe she said, which probably she did. Oh, I'm sorry, I probably should have talked about that first. I'm like, ah, no worries, right? But you take that in a high conflict divorce case where there's really parallel parenting going on, and the kid says, "Well, mom lets me drink wine." Oh, you're getting emotion, yeah, right? You're going to court. Did you let your kid drink alcohol? Yes. And that's like now a whole big deal in the court system where his mom and I have the same philosophy. He, like right now, he's a senior in high school. He's 18. Yeah, I'm going to let him have a drink at home because I'm trying to teach him how to drink responsibly before he goes off to school in August and can do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, right. And I'm having conversations like if you're going to get a fake ID, which I know you will, make sure it's your name, not somebody else's name on that ID. Because then it's not identity theft. Oh, dear. Right? Yeah. Which was a little different when you and I were growing up when we didn't really have identity theft, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but they were all, they, to my knowledge, it was all uh, a fake name. Right. As far as I, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> right. <laughs> my son told, asked me, Dad, tell me that story again when you got put in the back of the cop car. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 Tell me that story when your fake ID got taken by the bouncer in Chicago and you went up to the cop and said he gave he took my ID and it's real because what person with a fake ID would go up to a cop to try to get it back so I played that card <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get it back you said it was real right <laughs> yeah officer officer the bouncer took my fake ID oops <laughs> But these types of things, when you have a good co-parenting relationship, even though a decision might be made at one house or the other, that maybe should have been discussed. That's a little form of parallel parenting. Like, I'm not going to discuss. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Right. And it's not in that way negative. We talked about it. We joked about it. But take that same scenario with a true parallel parenting, and they're going to weaponize that action. They will weaponize it. They'll call the law. They'll be filing shit in court. What's the what's the sort of converse of that? Like, is there are there any decisions one parent can have that have to be followed at the other parent's house? Give me some fire away. I you know, I don't know. I mean, I you know, you're talking you're, you've already brought up booze like you you dropped porn a minute ago. Um, you know, I, what's the uh, girlfriend sleepovers? Um, nope. I, I don't know. Like, no, nope. if you want that is if you want to have a girlfriend sleepover at the house. You're going to be allowed and to do the it. Parent now, who has that is okay with it? Yeah. And, and the parent can say, yep, girls stayed the night and it was in another room or whatever. I mean, yeah. It, and it's so hard to prove this stuff anyway. I mean, what are you going to do? Call the kids in? Did they sleep the night? Did you have sex? Did you know, like you're 16, you're 17, you're eight? I mean, so if you find out something's going on in the other house, I'm not saying that you can never file in court. This isn't like just a free for all. Like you can, you can be upset about it and you can use the law to be upset about it. 
And you can try to file in court and say, this is detrimental to the kid, or we need to change the time sharing plan. We need to do this, this or that. But at least you were mentioning like really big issues. But a lot of co-parenting that breaks down and they go to parallel parenting, they can't agree on the little stuff. Like I hear this all the time. I have to do all the driving. Okay. I get it. It's frustrating when your co-parent moves 20 miles away and the parenting plan says that you do pick up and drop off and now you're stuck in traffic and all this stuff. What they miss is that's quality time with the kid that the other parent is just giving up because the other parent doesn't really want to do that. Yeah, right. Right, but in parallel parenting, you're not doing exchanges at the house. You're usually doing exchanges at a police station or to and from school all the time. Yeah, yikes. Parallel parenting, you have it where both parents, if they agree on the extracurricular, are required to buy all items needed for the extracurricular, thus to limit the amount of exchange of soccer cleats, uniforms. So they're going to the coach, I need two jerseys. Oh, coach is like, yeah, home and away. We're like, nope, two home, two away. Yeah, four jerseys. Yep. What about stuff like, uh, so here's one that that I think is coming up more and more. At at my house, my son is going to be gluten-free because he gets sick, he has inflammation, whatever. He is not being diagnosed with celiac disease, but we know he has a gluten intolerance. And uh, dad doesn't uh, doesn't believe that and doesn't care. So now we have a kid who who where one parent believes deeply that health is at stake, but the other parent does not. I would take it to court. Kid's getting sick. You get a diagnosis. Dad keeps feeding the stuff. Kid keeps eating it. Vaccinations. Oh, you can't see. You can't see, dear listener, what just happened there. I think <sighs> Seth just deflated on the word vaccination. I've litigated this. And judges just got it wrong because there was so mis- much misinformation about vaccinations that it just, judges didn't get it. And what they were saying is it's a joint, and, and here's the problem in the law. On vaccinations, it's a medical decision, which normally is a joint parental responsibility decision. Both parents have to agree. Unfortunately, the default is the child is not vaccinated. Because it's an action you have to take, right? Not saying that they shouldn't be vaccinated. So there's been motions filed, well, during the epidemic. I mean, it was rampant to the point where the court in Hillsborough County put out a standing order that basically said, it's a joint parental responsibility, figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, you know, don't come to us. Wow. Because ultimately, to change it from joint to sole or ultimate decision-making, I would have to prove that not getting vaccinated is detrimental to the child. So what's that standard? And that's different standards in every single courtroom. Yeah. Right? It depends on the experts that you get. I mean, it was a big problem. So, but if you have a parenting plan that says you can punt it, we'll agree to abide by all CDC guidelines. Okay. Right. That suddenly seems to make it easy, like it or not. Right. Until one parent's like, no, because I know they're going to say get vaccinated. and I don't want that. So I'm not doing it. Right. Right. That was an I imagine that was an easier call 10 years ago. Right. You always have the courthouse door is always open if there's something really bad happening. But I'm just talking on this daily stuff. And usually if the kids are older, I try to do a week on week off time sharing plan. Why? Less transitions. 
Right. Right. Let me uh, last uh, last question as we wrap up uh, our favorite our, our favorite line. Are there any jurisdictional issues that you are aware of state to state that people need to be aware of? Oh, yeah, no, it's check your local jurisdiction across the board, how how parenting plans go, who makes decisions, how it goes. But this is not a unique concept of parallel parenting, I would think, in Florida. this People have these problems all over. And look, this is kind of uh, one of our podcasts where it's like, here's the deal. And there's not a lot of nuance in this. Yeah, right. Because it just gets so bad, you really just try to keep the other person informed through an app and everybody else gets the information directly from the school, the healthcare provider, the coach. You might have it where you're allowed to set up a parent teacher conference and all you have to do is let the other person know that you're going that you've set one up and they can get the information. I have it where if you take the child to a medical provider, you're required to let the other parent know that the child went to the medical provider. Because how can you get the documents if you don't know that they even went to a new provider or even went there, right? So there's some little triggers that I put in to the parenting plan, which I find to be very helpful. But you're not required to tell them what's happening. If you want to do tutoring on your time, go do tutoring on your time. If you think the kid's not having trouble in math, despite the fact that they're getting C's or D's or F's, you know, but less transitions, least amount of communication. These are the parents that don't necessarily sit in the same auditorium when their kid's in a play. It, it is a uh, sad reality. Feels like a sad reality uh, for some. On that point, I even have written in there, for example, if it's your week for the child to be, and that's your week of time, and the child's in a play, the other parent can go up after the play and say goodbye for no more than five minutes, and then has to leave. Wow. I can get real detailed because when that kid gets off the stage and all the parents are gathering around, which by the way, the kid just wants to hang out with his friends that are coming up and telling him a great job, not mom and dad. We stand in the background, we take our quick photo, and then we're like, all right, go thank see grandpa and grandma. Yeah, see you at home. You know, or, you know, talk to you tomorrow, have fun at mom's. Like, whatever the case may be, but these are people that we have to orchestrate that. Fascinating. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, nothing I'm saying is good, but it's better than the conflict of, no, come over here, take this picture, S- you know, be with me, be with me, be with my family. Oh, here's my new girlfriend. Take a picture with her. Oh, hey, let's have someone else take a picture for us. And then the next thing you know, the kid's missing time with their friends. There's no time for a picture with the other side of the family. It's just a nightmare. What's your message to, to uh, folks who are in conflict who you feel like might be on the road. Is there a save? Is there anything you feel like you can say or have said in the past that might get people to work together? I think how you communicate is critical. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Don't go on and on and on and don't cite to the parenting plan. Like, they're going to read it differently. You know, don't play lawyer. Try to solve the problem. As much as you can, just say stuff like, whatever's easiest for you. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. And I'm, I just want to reflect on that for a second, because I there was a time some years ago where I felt like I was getting riled up, maybe social media, maybe it's news, general state of things, gestures broadly. But I, I feel like I was getting fired up at every little thing. And I can imagine during the divorce process that that would be a uh, an easy default stance to find yourself in. And I think just 
if you have any bandwidth to have some sort of a mindfulness practice that where you ask yourself, is this worth feeling strongly about? And find more opportunities to answer no to that question. You'll be able to find peace. Right. The more you can say yes to the other side, the better. And what people don't get about that is they think they're getting taken advantage of. What I tell them is you're taking away all their power. Yeah. They're looking for a fight. And when you agree, there's no fight. Right. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately, your kids figure it out. Sure. Ultimately, if you're trying to be alienated by the other parent, they're saying bad shit about you. Kids grow up and make their own decisions about the relationship with their parents. I know it takes two to have a relationship. If you just have an absentee father, he's going to be absent. Okay. But you talk to all these parents who work hard. I mean, in intact couples, they work hard to raise the children and give them wings. They give them wings and then the kids don't call. And they're just devastated that their kids aren't calling. <laughs> right. But that's where those kids are in their lives at that time. Right. And you kind of got to meet them where they are. You gave them their wings. They're out there flying. They're not going to come home to the nest as much as you hoped. You did the right thing in the first place. Give them the wings. Let them sign. And I always tell parents like that, well, would you rather have them move back in and live with you till they're 35? The answer, let me let me just tell you, the answer is no. Right. It's got to be no. <laughs> right. Please, if anybody is is hedging on that, please let me have you check yourself. The answer is no. And look, we all have kids, you know, at different times in their lives. I moved home after college because sure. I was looking for work. And then I lived on Grand Cayman for a few years with the job that I had. And then I was studying for the LSAT when I moved back. And I moved back to my parents' house to save money so I could save up money for law school. And so there's times I kind of came in and out they would have preferred me to be elsewhere. <laughs> out as the default state would have been fine. <laughs> it is okay. Out is better. Exactly. So anyway, it's a horrible scenario, but less conflict, the better. For sure. Thank you, uh, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate it. We appreciate you for doing it. And uh, we encourage you, to, if you have any questions about parallel parenting or, or co-parenting, whatever the case, that you would like to ask Seth, please head over to uh, howtosplitatoaster.com. Uh, and you can just click the Ask a Question uh, button, and it'll give you a little form where you can give us some questions or feedback, whatever you'd like to say to the show, and we'll address it on the air in an upcoming episode thank you everybody you're the best thank you on behalf of uh, seth nelson you know him america's favorite divorce attorney i'm pete wright we'll catch you right here next week on how to split a toaster divorce podcast about mostly saving your relationships seth nelson is an attorney with nlg divorce and family law with offices in tampa florida while we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.